Amen. Does anybody know what this is? It's a relic, actually. Um, if you don't, this is a VHS tape. Uh, most of you in this crowd probably knows what this is. Uh, video home system. Um, and I, I grew up watching VHSs. For, for my movies as a child, I was watching, for those of you who, who think that I grew up with a smartphone in my hand, not quite. It wasn't quite me. I watched Peter Pan and Lion King on VHS. That was what I did. Um, and then you probably know what this one is too, yeah? This is a, well, this is a case, but this is a DVD. And this was the next step, VHS to DVD. I brought Muppet Treasure Island this morning, my favorite movie of all time, so... I watch it every year on my birthday. So if you're collecting fun facts about Pastor Chris, every year on his birthday, he watches Muppet Treasure Island. So we got VHS to DVD. And um, I don't know what the first DVD was in my home. I'm not sure, but I have a hunch it was Spider-Man 2. And what was revolutionary about Spider-Man 2 on DVD in my home? The difference between my Muppet Treasure Island VHS, which I ruined because uh, I watched it so much, and the difference between that and my Spider-Man 2 DVD was the DVD did not require to be rewound. Amazing. Like, when I finished Muppet Treasure Island for the third time that day, I had to then hit rewind and sit there and wait. And I could, you know, you could watch it kind of go backwards. You could watch the movie in reverse, or you could turn it off, and it rewinds way faster, and you gotta, you got to play that game, right? And I don't, I'm not one for rants on the olden days. I spent a lot of time with students, and spoiler alert, they don't like that <laughs> very much. They don't like, when I was your age. They don't really care for that, just so you know. Um, so I'm not one to do that, but they will not know what it's like to, to have to rewind a VHS. Because they're, the stakes are high when you're rewinding. At least they feel like it when you're six years old. All right, you're not with me. All right. When you hit rewind on that video that you've watched four or five times today, hundreds of times in your life, the chances grow that your VHS player is just going to destroy it. Have you ever, right? You hit eject and you pull it out and the tape is like still in the machine. And you're like... This is my favorite movie, and I'm now crushed, right? And, and if it does happen to survive the rewinding, you get to play that game where you hit play at the right time. That's the, the golden moment. If you hit play right as, like, the title of the movie is coming up, or right at the beginning of the movie, because if you wait and it goes all the way back to the beginning, you have to hit play, and then what? Fast forward through the previews, <laughs> coming to a theater near you, right? We don't want to see that. I saw it a bunch of times. The difference between the VHS and the DVD players just rewind. And, and the reason I say that is we're in this series called Rewind. And uh, I don't know if that word is going to mean the same thing to us as, as it means to the next generation. <laughs> One of these days, they're not going to think of rewinding a VHS tape. They're going to think of rewinding 10 seconds in that episode of The Office to see that funny moment again, to see Kevin spill his chili again. Um, that is <laughs> my least favorite Office moment ever. So we're in this series called Rewind. And, and we're talking about rewinding the tape of our lives, going back to childhood and saying, what are the things I wish my parents told me? What are the things I wish that, that my parents instilled in me that I'm now an adult and I'm kind of missing some of these things? Uh, we, Pastor Ray, for the past two weeks, has been really, really great stuff, talking about self-image and then about attitude. And this morning, I'd like to talk, I asked for this one, and this morning we're going to talk about responsibility. Now, responsibility is a very, very important lesson for a child, right? This is something you have to learn growing up, and, and uh, this isn't a parenting series per se, but this is important to, to parent your child, to teach them responsibility. And looking back, um, this is something that, that will have implications on your whole life, have implications on your social life uh, and, and your school life, and then eventually your occupation, and then your, your marriage or relationships in your future. 
Responsibility is so, so important. And looking back on my life, I was not always the most responsible child. Um, chores were not at the top of my list. It was, I remember vividly a moment where my dad came home from work and saw me playing a video game and said, is the trash out? And I said, well, no. He said, are the dishes done? I was like, no. He said, is the grass cut? I said, well, no. So he took my dad, very, very smart man. He took uh, a dry erase marker and wrote, actually, I think it was a Sharpie marker because it's, it's probably still on that board today. And it said homework with a box. And it said uh, garbage out with a box. And it said dishes with a box. And it said grass cut with a box. He said, you come home every day, look at this list, go down it, and then play video games. And I said, thank you for teaching me responsibility, Dad. <laughs> I didn't say that. And I never did use that list. But chores were not important to me <laughs> as a child. But I'll tell you when it changed. When I got a job, everything changed for me. That's when I learned responsibility. Whenever my reputation was on a line, because I like knew about resumes, and I was like, this, these people are gonna be on my resume. Someone's gonna have to call them and ask how I worked. So when my reputation and a paycheck, very, very important, was on the line, it changed for me. So um, would somebody be willing to share their very first job? I know this is a little interactive today. Your, your very first job, especially if it was like a weird one. Somebody put up your hand, just wave at me a little bit. Tell me what your first job was. Yes, sir. That's such a classic first job. I love that one. Anybody else? Come on. What's your first job? Yes. Burger King. Yes. All right. That's great. Wow. All right. And was there one back there? One more? Yes, sir. Lots of fast food represented in the room. Yeah. One more. I don't know. Kitty Land and Amusement Park. That's such a fun first job. <laughs> that sounds amazing. My first job... Uh, like, my first, first job was cutting grass with my dad. And we were, like, legit. We had a poster in the grocery market with, like, the little strip of paper where you take off the number, right? <laughs> we were doing, we were that, those people. We had some clients around town. We were mowing their grass. And I was very young, uh, and it changed everything when I had money in my pocket. <laughs> like, this is the first time where I, like, had ever seen a $20 bill, basically, besides, like, on a birthday. Very, very important to me. Um, after I had done this grass cutting thing, I was like, all right, it's time to get, like, a real job. And, and the first... The thing I wanted to do so badly was be a waiter. I don't know why I wanted to be a waiter, but I wanted to so badly. And, and it's like 15-year-old, 16-year-old me wanted to be a waiter so badly. And everyone said, you're too young to do that. Or, or the more common thing was you have to uh, get some experience in dishwashing before you can be a waiter. And I said, well, I'm going to apply to be a waiter and see what happens. So I did and got two jobs as a waiter and rubbed it in everyone's faces. <laughs> that I did not have to put in some dishwashing experience. I loved being a waiter. Um, I don't know what it was about being a waiter that I loved. Um, I, I liked talking to people. I liked the, you know, getting orders correct and that kind of checklist stuff I enjoyed very much. I also had a job I absolutely hated. Uh, my dad works, works to this day with construction, HVAC. So that's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. So he would go uh, to a new house and rough it out, install where all the vents were going to be, and then start running ductwork. Really fun stuff. And so I'm 16, maybe 17 years old at this point, and he gets me an in to work with him for two summers, the two worst summers of my life. <laughs> now, I understand that people do this every day, and for your entire lives, you do this every day. But 16-year-old Pastor Chris was not having it. <laughs> this was not my idea of a fun summer. Um, but what I did have was a nice paycheck because I got lots of hours. What was also very special about that job was that I got to work with my dad. And uh, my dad and I are very different people. My dad likes to work, make things with his hands. I like to make music. My dad likes to be outside and work on a car, and I like to 
play video games, <laughs> read a book, you know? Uh, we're very, very different. Classic differences, yeah, and, and it created some classic conflict. Um, but when I was working with my dad, it was, I was so sure that he was proud of me. You know, I was doing, I was in his world, I was doing what he, uh, he, he liked to see me do. You know, it was really, it was an interesting dynamic, and, he, and I knew he thought I was good at it. He told me more than once he was proud of me, and that he, that I'd done better than any of those kids out of school that ever came to work with him. And I, I knew in that moment that my dad was definitely proud of me. And I know some of you are saying that that's a humble brag, uh, as they say and that you worked with a parent, and it was miserable, right? <laughs> so I'm not under no illusion that that always goes well. So if you worked with a parent or, or work with a child, and you say, well, that is not my experience, and it's terrible, um, some of you can attest to that story as well, and that's right. I'd like to go to a, a place in the Bible where these two men are following Jesus, and mom tags along. <laughs> this is really great. If you're not familiar with this story, it's a really good one. Um, this is, uh, it's in Matthew 20. 20 through 28. So if you, you can grab your Bibles and go ahead and pull that out, get that ready, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And you, you may describe this woman as a helicopter parent. Do you know that term, a helicopter parent? This is like when your kid is growing up, they're getting some distance from the family, and instead of accepting the inevitable, you like grab on with all you have, hover over everything, everything they do, and make sure you're a part of their lives just so, so, so very closely. And it's out of love. I get it. But it, uh, anybody have a helicopter parent? I got a hand up. That's, I got one of those. No one? How many are a helicopter parent? <laughs> no, that's all right. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you get that idea, uh, you're going to appreciate this interaction. This interaction between Jesus and two of disciples and their mom. All right? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, that end up being two of the three of Jesus' closest disciples. James, John, and Peter were the closest with Jesus. This is James and John. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So being at the right and left was a position of power at this time. And, and today, that's a phrase that we know, you know, at the right hand. You know, this is a position of power. So their mom was asking for a special treatment for her babies. Okay. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. That's that next slide there. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Now, this is a really great expression I think we should bring back. In Jewish culture, uh, to drink the same cup meant to uh, experience the same fate, that kind of idea. So, like, if you ever said uh, to your kid, I can't wait until you have kids so they can treat you the same way you treated me, right? You may be saying, I can't wait for you to drink the cup that I have drank from with you. That's the same. It's a really great expression. Jesus here is predicting his death. He's saying the cup I'm going to drink is, is suffering. It's death. It's not pretty. That's the cup that I'm going to drink. Are you ready for that? Um, and these guys and their mom were just so confused. They still thought at this point that Jesus was going to lead a rebellion. He's going to uh, rise to power. And that's why they wanted to be at the right and left hand because they're like, this guy's going to be in charge. I want to be a part of that. They didn't quite get it. They weren't quite grasping where Jesus was going. So they quickly said, of course, we can drink that cup, whatever cup it is. Eight ounce, 12 ounce, sippy cup, I'm in. Here's the next part of that verse. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. Now they didn't realize what this meant either. 
Uh, but after Jesus died, these were the men leading the early church. James was martyred. He was killed for preaching the name of Jesus. John was exiled, left for dead for preaching the name of Jesus. They did drink the same cup. They didn't quite know what they were saying. Jesus said to them, this is the next part, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Okay, this is where the helicopter parents pay attention because when you're said, when your, your kids say to you, mom, that's embarrassing. That is not out of a vacuum. That is real. So pay attention here. Jesus, uh, uh, John and James's mom asked for special treatment for her kids. And when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Thanks a lot, mom. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus had a habit of flipping things upside down. Jesus often would walk into a room and, and say a couple sentences, and suddenly everyone's like, that's the opposite of what we thought, right? He took conventional thinking and flipped it on his head all the time. And, and this is one of those times he's doing that. He says, you know how authority typically works. You know that people get to power, it goes to their head, they abuse the power, and they, they lord it over the people that they're uh, in charge of. And he said, but with you, that's not how it's going to work. Not with you. And I have to imagine that Jesus was picturing the early church at this point. He's talking to the people that he knows are about to lead his church, about to represent his people. And I think he was saying, all right, the early church will not look like that. You will have some power. You have some influence. You'll have some leadership. But it's not going to look anything like the power, the authority that you have experience with. I think he's saying the same thing to us. He's saying, my body, the body of Christ, my people will not look like that. That's not how that's going to go down. Um, we, as the body of Christ, are not here to be served, but to serve. We have a responsibility. That's where we're going this morning. We have a responsibility. This is the bottom line. If you remember one thing this morning, this is what I want you to remember. I'll say it enough times for you to remember. We have work to do. We have work to do. I don't use these words lightly. I know that this can be a big shift in culture and thinking often for a church that, you know, not necessarily our church, but lots of churches kind of get this idea that, that we have to work at this and what are you talking? I worked with the church in, in college that on the, the wall of every campus had these words, for those not yet here. Everything they did was run through the lens of how does this impact people who are not a part of our church yet? They were about service. They totally got it. We at Harvest get service in many ways. But Pastor Ray has been saying recently, I'm not quite sure we grasp the change that's going to happen in that new building. He's saying, I'm not sure that we're quite gonna, that we get it quite yet. Um, and, and I really, that stuck with me. I appreciated that. He didn't, he says we don't quite get the magnitude of change because as our building gets bigger, naturally our ministries need to get bigger. Just like Pastor Linda was talking about earlier, we need to fill that with people that are ready to take care of people. I'm hesitant to start, I'm going to name a few, but please don't be offended if I leave you guys out. 
But it's not a surprise that a, that a big old kid's wing in the new building is going to need more teachers. It's going to need more people that care about children. Our huge new lobby and cafe is going to need staffed. We have to, we're going to name this thing. It's going to need more greeters. Our media team is going to grow and adding an element of cameras. We need to, to staff all of these positions. Our new, this building is getting bigger. So our ministries need to grow with it. Parking team is happening before we even get in the new building. That's being launched relatively soon. A safety team. We have teams that are starting from, from, the, from ground zero, and we, we need to be ready to staff, to be a part of this stuff, to be a part of what God is doing at Harvest. There's big stuff happening around here. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down too. The days of assuming someone else is going to do the work are over. The days of assuming someone else is going to take care of it are done. This is it. <laughs> this is us. We are the core. This is the people uh, that are going to do the work. We have a responsibility. Us. We have work to do. In case you haven't noticed, this isn't exactly a parenting series that we're going through here at Rewind. We're talking about things that you should teach your kids, very valuable for parents. But if you don't have kids, don't tune out. Because <laughs> you're the things that maybe you wish your parents would have put a little more clearly for you as well. So don't think that you can tune out if you don't have kids. We're talking about responsibility, which is so, so important to teaching your kids and, and raising them to be responsible people. Um, but we're talking about our responsibility to the body of Christ. We're getting a little more specific this morning. Uh, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, what does that mean? What is my responsibility as a follower of Christ? So I'm, I'm going to frame this as three things I wish my parents told me about my responsibility to the body of Christ. That's a little bit long. I will say it again. Three things I wish my parents told me about my responsibility to the body of Christ. I got three of them. We have work to do. The first one, uh, I wish my parents told me that serving means caring. Serving means caring about other people. Have you ever tried explaining to like a five or six-year-old that there are other people in the world? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not a brain scientist by any means, but uh, I took some child development courses in, in college, and I learned about egocentrism. And, and what I learned is that uh, around that maybe four, five, six age, Kids don't really get that other people have feelings. <laughs> they have a hard time grasping, it's seeing things from another person's perspective. That's a challenge for young kids. Shortly after I learned this, um, I watched it happen right in front of me. Uh, this is my wife, Sam. She has a really big family, several siblings. And so I was in uh, her, her car with her family, and we pull up to the house, and one of her brothers in the back seat just really needed to be in the house. I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom or watch a TV show. I don't know. He needed to be in the house immediately. So as soon as we stopped, he threw off his buckle and just jolted out to the door. Back seat, mind you. So big family, he is crawling over several people. <laughs> and so I'm watching this. People are screaming, and he's like, he doesn't even look back. <laughs> he's just running for the house. And he didn't mean to hurt anyone, but it was hard for him to think hmm, if I crawl over these people, it might cause them pain. <laughs> it might cause them pain. For me, uh, I don't have the excuse of brain development anymore. <laughs> so when I'm selfish, it's because I'm sinful and just a selfish person. And, and I work really hard to make the selfless choice, but I don't always get there. I think all of us in this room are on that journey. Am I right? <laughs> can, can you agree to that so I don't feel as bad about myself? But <laughs> we're all in this, and we can't blame brain development anymore, but we're working at getting better. But as the body of Christ, we need to care about other people. We need to, to be able to see things from the perspective of the people in our community that aren't here yet, that aren't Christians yet, that aren't a part of Harvest yet. We have a responsibility to do that, to care for other people, to serve other people. We have work to do. 
your mindset is important. And there's a, a great fire in 1666 that basically leveled the city of London. And um, as they're, they're kind of rebuilding, there's a great architect ma- named Christopher Wren, and he was commissioned to build St. Paul's Cathedral. Really, really big deal. He's one of the best. That's why he was chosen for the job, right? And, and, and Christopher Wren loved brick. It was a, a staple in his pieces, so he hired a lot of bricklayers. So Christopher Wren is surveying his, the, the pros, progress on this job, and he sees three bricklayers, and he talks to the first one. He says, what are you doing? And the bricklayer says, I'm weighing bricks. He goes to the next one and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm making a living. Christopher Wren goes to the third bricklayer, who will eventually be the leader of that group. And he says to him, what are you doing? And the bricklayer, with a gleam in his eye, says, I am building a cathedral with Christopher Wren for the Almighty God. That guy had purpose in his work. He had a mindset, an attitude that was correct. Now, the very observant among you are saying, why did I just hear that story? And it was last week in church. Yes, Pastor Ray just told the story. And I was sitting in the pew next to my wife, and as soon as I heard that story, I said, oh, I'm using that next week. <laughs> that is so, so powerful. Here's how that uh, intersects with the, how responsibility intersects with attitude. If you're a greeter, if you ask a greeter at our church, what are you doing? The one that says handing out newsletters will not be doing it as long as the one that says creating a welcoming environment at Harvest. If you ask one of our kids' volunteers, what are you doing? The one that says babysitting will not be doing it as long as the one that says developing children spiritually. If you ask our food pantry volunteer, what are you doing? The one that says moving boxes of food will not be doing it as long as the one that says showing the love of God to our community. That's where attitude and responsibility intersect. We need to care about people. Serving means caring about others. Second thing I wish my parents told me was that serving means giving. Serving means giving. Giving my resources, uh, one of those being money. Now, I know where you're going, so don't go there yet. Um, maybe you had a bad experience with church and money, and, and maybe uh, a church was asking for money too much, or a pastor was lying in his pockets, and, and I understand that that stuff happens. Um, I want you to know, I can, my experiences here at this church at Harvest, I can only speak for us, but that is not the case here. Um, our pastor, Pastor Ray, is a man of integrity. <laughs> and he's got two teams of people that are giving him accountability in his progress, and not a penny of time to build goes in his pocket. Every cent of that is going to the project. You're hearing about money a lot because we're, we're building something. We're going in this direction that God is taking us. And not a penny of that goes to a person. That's going to building, the, the, the building that's going to be, that's going to house the next step for harvest that God is taking us to. If I can brag on my pastor a second, uh, Pastor Ray has strengths and weaknesses. I'm under no illusion that he's perfect. But he is a man of integrity. And if I have that amount of integrity after that amount of ministry experience, I will consider that a win. (laughs) He's a man of integrity. I'm not worried about where my money is going because I I know him. And those of you that know him, in my experience and hopefully yours, he's a man of integrity. Uh, And I just want you to know nobody at our church wants you to give for us. That is not the motivation here. And when you talk about money at any point, things get weird in the room. So we'll move on soon. But nobody at our church wants you to give because of us. Um, I say to you genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to give so you get closer to Jesus. (laughs) I want you to give so you get closer to God. Matthew 6.21 says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. 
where you put your wallet is what you care about. God, did you ever hear of the, the bread and the fish, the loaves and the fish miracle in the Bible? God can do that in our bank account. He doesn't need your money, <laughs> right? He doesn't need it. He asks for it so he can get a hold of your heart. He wants you, not your money. But a part of getting you is you taking the step to give. I don't ask you to give. God doesn't ask you to give for, for him or for the church. God asks you to give for you. Serving means giving my resources. However, money is not the only resource we can give, right? Harvest does a great deal of work to create opportunities for you to give your time and energy as well. Serving, this is the third thing. Serving means working. We have work to do. Serving means working. Not just working, but working together. Isn't that special? Working together toward a common goal. Um, this is the thing that we get to do. This thing works when we are all being obedient to God together. That's, that's how this, this, this body gets life. Jesus breathes into us when we are working toward this common goal together. I'll tell you about that common goal. Harvest cares about creating disciples that impact the world. The wording is, is in transit, but the, the, the thoughts are creating disciples that impact the world. So everything we do is to do those things. We are becoming disciples that impact the world to create disciples that impact the world by creating disciples that impact the world, etc. So with me? That's what we do at Harvest. That's what we're doing here. Uh, and the way we do that through our mission is connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, connecting people to ministry, and connecting people to the world. So maybe you've never heard those things, but that's where we are going. <laughs> that's what we are doing to fulfill the mission that God has placed on the heart of Harvest. Now you know where we're headed. We have work to do. Sarah, if you'd come play a little music. Um, I also wish my parents told me the joy that came with working for God. The joy that you can find in serving. Um, for me, my, I was probably pre-teen when I first served in the church. And that job Tilly's doing back there is very special to me because it was my first position in the church. My first, that you want me to be in the sound booth. <laughs> and also, I didn't ask. Maybe that's important to say. Somebody asked me to join that team for what that's worth. So, so my first experience in serving as a preteen, just changing the lyrics for worship. And I felt not just the joy of being in the sound booth, but the joy of doing what God called me to do, right? The joy of being a part of what's happening in this building. The joy of being, uh, grabbing an oar and rowing us toward this destination that God has for his church. It was so special for me to be a part of that. opportunity to experience that joy in serving, when doing what you're supposed to do, finding the spot on the team, that's your sweet spot in the team, to bring this whole body closer to what Jesus wants us to do, where he, where he wants us to be. It's why you see the worship team passionately seeking God. It's why you see greeters here every single week with a smile on their face and a newsletter in their hand. It's why you see our kids volunteers and student volunteers ripping their hair out because they found their place in the body of God, right? They found their spot, their sweet spot where I do this and yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> like yeah, I get worn out at times, but the reward makes it okay. I'm doing what God has called me to do. He fills me with joy. That's why they stick around.
why the people that are serving at this church serve for so long, serve for in so many different capacities because of the joy that happens. I'd like to go back to Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't want to assume that everyone in this room knows what that means. Jesus loved to turn things upside down. He loved to take conventional thinking and deconstruct it and turn it around. And the biggest way he did that was by coming to live among his people, coming to give his life for his people. We believe that God created man, uh, and he created us with free will, the freedom to choose. And in that freedom to choose, we, Adam and Eve, made, and we continue to make the wrong choice. We choose things other than God. We choose to make our own way. We choose to, to decide we know better. And when we do that, we call it sin. It creates separation between us and God. That's what sin is. It's us saying, I can do better without you. And God saying, if you say so. It creates distance between us and God. But what's really beautiful is that God said, I don't want the story to end there. God said, that's not okay with me. I, I want closeness with my creation. So he flipped it upside down and he said, all right, I will come to you, even though you betrayed me, even you know you deserve punishment, you deserve slavery to sin, you deserve eternal punishment. I'm going to come to you, be among my people. That's a big deal, and I hope you grasp what our God did for us. He got to work for us. He got to work for us. So God came to earth in the form of man, and Jesus came to be with his people, to serve his people, not to be served. As he walked around this earth, he knew what was coming. He knew that after three years of ministry or so, his people that he created with free will would, would use that free will to choose to kill him, to, to hang him on a cross and, uh, and frame him and, and spit on him and disrespect him. He knew that was coming, and he still came to serve his people. And as Jesus let himself be crucified by his people. As he died on the cross, he hung on the cross paying the debt for our sins, receiving the punishment that we deserved. We were enslaved to sin, but God gave his life, Jesus gave his life as the ransom, as the debt. He paid the price so we could have, and as Jesus died on the cross, as that debt went away, the separation between God and man went away. We get close. All we have to do is say, sorry, I repent. You're the Lord of my life, and we have closeness with God. It's huge. It's why we're in this building today. Our creator didn't come to lord his authority over us, but to serve his people. He came to be a payment for our sins. And three days later, after Jesus died on the cross, three days later, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. He came back to life, walked among his people, and said, before he ascended into heaven, he said, you have work to do. In my words, he said, you have work to do. That's the call he gave to his people. His instructions uh, are echoed in Harvest's vision. That's why we are creating disciples that impact the world. That's why we are getting ready for a new building, a bigger influence, a, an expansion of the ministry we can do. We're talking about responsibility to the body of Christ. So find your role. Where do you fit in that? Find your role. Grab an oar. That's some of the language Pastor Ray uses, that this is a ship and we have a destination. Don't just sit on board every Sunday morning. Grab an oar. Row with us. 
It's our responsibility to the body of Christ. We're going to take the next few minutes. I want you to talk to God. I want you to ask him where your role is. Some boards run around for kids' ministry. There are so many opportunities, especially with the new teams popping up, a camera team, a parking team, a safety team. The new needs are going to be huge. So I want you to take some time to pray. If, if you're doing things already, you pray for other people. I, I don't want, they say that like 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Not so with you. <laughs> Grab an oar. If you're not, if you haven't found that spot yet, I'm, you're going to take some time. I want you to pray and talk to God and say, where do I fit in this thing? If you don't feel any direction, try something. Don't give up. Try something. Maybe it'll be terrible. Maybe after a month, you're like, I cannot listen to another student talk about social media and anxiety. <laughs> then you get to try being a greeter. You get to try being on the cafe team. There is a spot for you. Don't give up until you find it. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, to the office. I talked to the ministry leader. I found my place in what you're doing at Harvest. God, help us to be obedient to your call. We love you and we praise you and it's all about you. At the center of it all, it's not because we want to be the biggest and best church. We want to make an impact for you. We want to be an influence for you. So thank you for what you're doing through this church and that we, as your creation, humble, broken people, Thank you, God. It's in your precious and holy name we pray.